Tom, a new VanCast to start the week here. The Canucks and the Senators have shifted spots. They're now in Canada, and they'll hook up later tonight for the third of this four-straight set. Now, when we look back to what went on at Rogers Arena on Saturday, the Canucks win by a score of 4-2, to two, and they bounce back from the 3-0 shutout loss. But for a late-season game between the Canucks and the Sens, like, there was a lot going on at the yeah, Rogers on Saturday night. There was a, there let's start, a killer anthem. Heat. A killer anthem. Unreal. Like, Shout out to Jugpreet Bajwa. He's at Juggy Jag on Twitter. Uh, man, it was Vaisakhi night, uh, the celebration, and he lit it up with that anthem. So just wanted to shout him. Uh, we had goalie drama. There was a penalty shot. You had Brock Besser looking like rookie Brock Besser with the rocket on the power play. There was the brutal five on three with a chance for the Canucks to put the game away. And then, and I'm still not sure what that was, Bo Horvat saluting an empty building as he walked off the ice and down the tunnel. So uh, bottom line is it was a win for the Canucks. And when we're giving shouts, they're three and one out of the COVID break. Like we've talked a lot about it over the last couple of weeks, obviously, but to win three of four, given what they've been through here the last couple of weeks, uh, absolute hat tip to the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a big win. Like, unreservedly, no qualification needed. That was a big win. That Tanner Pearson goal on the rush to restore the lead after an Evgeny Dadonov, uh, sorry, Dadonov, Knuckler sort of eluded Braden Holpe. Um, I mean, that was a huge goal. Like, that was a massive swing for the club. Like, like added 10% to their playoff odds. Huge. Just a massive goal and uh, and full value for it. I mean, the Canucks played really well. I thought the Canucks were the better team five on five. Or sorry, in the third period, I thought they were really good. The The Sens actually, I thought, were the better team five on five yesterday after the Canucks were actually better in the three nothing loss. Uh, but so it goes. You know, when I look to the energy level, the sustained energy level so far, the work rate, just the raw guts that the Canucks showed. Like Tyler Mott, finishing off the game with a four-checking effort that leads to the empty netter, you know, that sort of says it all. Like, that's this Canucks team right now uh, sort of distilled. And full credit to them. Hey, by the way, I want to come back to Jug Preet, by the way, really quickly, because yeah. he's a VIP. He's a reader. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, fully blind. He's been blind since he was six months old. Uh, loves the athletic app because, you know, it, it's easy for him to consume and read. Uh, something we're really proud of, of course. But, uh, but you know, I knew that he was singing the anthem. I was so proud. Like, that was the best. That was the best O Canada I've heard at the Raj uh, since returning to the beat. So in a, in a year and a bit, just crushed it. Just absolute. What what pipes on that gentleman? Uh, tremendous and, and always proud to support a VIP. Like, that was great. Um, and, and a really tremendous performance from him and from the Canucks. Yeah, again, you can follow him on Twitter at Juggy Jag, and he. Oh, I hope he, I hope that earns him another invite back before the end of the season. Like, don't forget about it being any kind of theme night. Just bring him back to, yeah. to set the tone. Uh, I, I mentioned you this could on you could even hear the benches like we're into it. <laughs> you know, like sometimes an anthem ends, and you can hear yeah. like guys are impressed. Like people are like, right. yeah, oh. <laughs> like you could like hear that from the benches. Like even the teams themselves were like, no, that was an anthem. <laughs> Love it. Hey, you were in the building I wasn't. Um, just describe for me the penalty shot moment because it was a big part of the hockey game. It's 2-1 for the Canucks mm -hmm. there. Alex Fomenton, again, the standards for penalty shots. Like, I'm completely baffled now. Uh, growing up, like, yeah, you know, I had to have your legs hauled out from under you on a breakaway. You know, Myers got the stick on him, but I didn't think it was enough for a penalty shot. Whatever the case, they point to center ice. Like, in a crowded building, in normal times, 
a penalty shot. The people are up off their seats. Like, you know, it's one of those things because you just don't see them very often. Uh, it had to be kind of bizarre, I would imagine, like in an empty, quiet building to have a guy go one-on-one against the goaltender. Like, we see it in the shootouts, but yeah. in-game, it's a little different, especially at that point in the game. Uh, he scores there, it's tied, and who knows where it goes from there, but uh, Braden Holpe uh, doing what he's done since the the return to play here, uh, coming up with big saves when he had to. Yeah, Braden Holpe was excellent, right? And and yeah. that's why I, I loved the Pearson response so, so much, too, right? Like, he was owed uh, the club sort of getting him one back quickly. Right, because that was one you know that he'd want to have back. Uh, I still think the way that that was knuckling, that was like a difficult save. That wasn't a pure mix softy, but obviously the angle of the shot, the fact that it's an unscreened wrist shot on the rush from a bad angle, like you know that that is one I, I'm sure just for those reasons, Holpe would want back as you know n- not a high danger shot, but it did rise weirdly. Like that puck was knuckling like crazy. Like Goldberg shot it, so. Uh, but the fact that the club earned the the go ahead goal right away afterwards, I, I thought yeah. that was that was nice. Like you like to see that, especially with how well Holpe has played over the course of this week. But the penalty shot, first of all, the announcement of it in building from the referee confused me. It was like he explained that it was a slash and then a penalty shot being awarded, and I thought in real time that something weird had happened and the Canucks were getting like a major for slashing plus the penalty shot was being awarded. And I was just like, my initial reaction was like, how many weird calls am I going to see in one two game set here? Like, what is going on? Well, and then, of course, it was the same. It was the same referees, too. Right. But and then, of course, it was just a penalty shot. And I yeah. I'd sort of misheard it. So I calmed down. Um, <laughs> not that I was that worked up, just that I was confused. And then, you know, it was weird. Like you, you you're used to that, like hush falls over the building. You know what I mean? And sort of uh, as people make sense of what's happening and. Um, you know, the reaction of the announcement. So yeah, to have that take place in the ghostly confines of an empty Rogers arena was strange. And then Formanton, you know, Formanton is like early career Ryan Kessler vibes. You remember early career Ryan Kessler where he just like win every battle was the fastest guy on the ice and then he'd get breakaway opportunity after breakaway opportunity and almost never do damage with it, right? Like he didn't find the end product until a little bit later into his career. Uh, that's sort of who Formanton is at this stage, like killer, assertive, fast, um, but doesn't really have the hands yet. So I sort of know that about Formanton. I was expecting something relatively pedestrian, like something relatively simple in terms of his approach. That's exactly what he did. A great save by Holpe. And, and really, Holpe made two saves uh, since he made the original as well. Uh, full value. Uh, you know, the conversation around Holpe has to turn now to... If he plays this well, if he can sustain this level, does he become an option again for Seattle in the expansion process? Yeah. Like that's that's yeah. sort of where the conversation could get to, uh, you know, and look, we're probably not there yet. Holpe's run of form, like he just brought his save percentage north of 900 with what he's done, well, what he did yesterday. So still some work to do. But I, I do wonder, especially because Holpe has you know, those vibes of being such a good guy, being such a good teammate, you know, all reports that I've heard were that even when he wasn't playing, like he was the best guy, <laughs> you know, in terms of supporting Demko, in terms of working hard, like not pouting, like he's got all of those bona fides that even if you were looking for a one year backup and you were say, you know, prepared to engage with Chris Dreiger and sign him before the process, right? Use your window that Seattle will have. Um, you know, even if they were to sort of approach it that way, 
could Holtby be a good option for them as a one year sort of backup culture guy? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe. And and he does have the additional sort of appeal uh, of being the person that he is uh, and the winner that he is. So, you know, that's sort of where the conversation could get to. And that speaks to just how dynamic, tremendous, uh, unflappable Holtby has been in his performance over the past few days. Uh, I'm going to go old man here because that's kind of what I am. I've got a bunch of years on you. Uh, certainly in your time covering hockey, from a media standpoint, the shootout has always been part of the game. I mean, you're old enough, uh, I would imagine, to remember a time before shootouts. But I, I do, yes. Right. So, like, the penalty shot I'm a big itself. Ties fan, by the way. That's my old man yells at clouds. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I, 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 I like Ties. I, I like this. Ties. And you've got a nice collection of them, I should say. I do, uh, yes. Thank you. But, but this isn't me yelling at a cloud necessarily. It's just, and I tweeted this out, that, like... There was a time, like, the penalty shot was a big deal. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what? Like, a guy's going to go one-on-one against a goalie in the middle of a game? Like, come on! And I've seen enough over the years, you know, where the building would react and the people would be on their seats. And, like, it was an event. With the shootout now, the penalty shot has lost something. Like, because we see guys go one-on-one against goaltenders all the time. And, quite frankly... Um, the goalie almost always wins, right? Like, there's a ton of shootouts that are settled with one goal. Like that's totally, the only, yeah. And and so, you know, I wasn't surprised that Holpe made the save. It was a good save, and the Canucks needed it in that moment. But uh, whether it's an empty building, a full building, whatever, the to me, the penalty shot, sort of the art of the penalty shot, the moment uh, is lost just because we see the skills competition settle so many games over the course of a season. So I remember before I worked for the Panthers, I was sent on assignment to cover that Islanders Panthers series, right? Yeah. And it was game four of that series. So the Islanders were up. Sorry, that's incorrect. It's game five of the series. It's two, two tied game five, high leverage goes to overtime. And eventually Alan Quine would score the winner. But Sasha Barkov taken down from behind, breakaway opportunity. We're talking about a 50% shootout shooter, right? Like, literally the best, probably in the NHL right now, uh, in the skills competition. And he squares up Thomas Grice, and he goes backhand, he gets the move off, and Thomas Grice snags it. Beautiful save. Massive. And then, the Islanders win it in overtime. And I go down to the room, and I'm armed with my facts, right? This is, I mean, a penalty shot in playoff overtime. Right? That's not something that's, that's happened no, very often. That's in fact, different. In yeah. fact, that was the second time that it had happened in like 40 years or 50 years. I don't remember wow. the exact stat, but it was like there were, it, is, it had happened twice in, you know, the, the modern game basically, like since expansion. And Thomas Grice was the first guy to make a save in that situation, right? So I go down and I ask Thomas Grice, who by the way is like the dude, right? Like he is, you know, completely... Like, if he has a pulse, I've never seen evidence of it, right? Like, he's just the coolest cat, right? Like, oh, oh, you know, he's sort of vaguely German. Like, oh, no, I don't really think about it that way. Like, no, you know, just like so chill. And so I ask him about it. I'm like, that moment, you know, that moment, you know, one of the best shooters. Like, what does that mean? What was the tension like? And he says to me, he says, oh, you you know, it's, it's just like the shootout. (laughs) <laughs> I faced that situation 10 times a year. It's, uh, just like the shootout. And I was like, what? <laughs> I told him, I told him, I'm like, you're the first guy. You're the first guy to make that save in 50 years. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a pretty routine game situation for me. 
I was very disappointed. I was like, come on, sell it. And then I remember, actually, I went to Alan Quine, Alan Quine's <laughs> availability, and he scored He scored a power play goal from, like, the OV spot, right? Alan Quine, who's yeah. you know, a quad, quad A player, but a guy I'm actually familiar with because he played with Brendan Gauntz uh, with the Belleville Bulls. So I'd seen him live in his OHL career, and I'd met him a couple times. And so, you know, I asked him about that goal, and he's like, oh, you know, great pass by John Tavares. He put it right in my wheelhouse. And I'm like, your wheelhouse? <laughs> Your wheelhouse? This was like your fourth power play shift to your NHL career, Alan Quine. Uh, your it. wheelhouse? I was really fired up that day. Um, I don't know that the Islanders like ever had me back in their room, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember that well. That was fun. I, I miss covering hockey like that, I will say. I think we all miss covering playoff hockey, and we can't write it off entirely as the Canucks... Getting some help from Montreal, and we've talked about this, but now we have to monitor this thing every pod that we do because with the Canucks win and the Habs loss in Calgary, uh, the Canucks are creeping closer again. I mean, eight back. There's still a ton of ground to cover, but five games in hand, and Calgary and Montreal in action on Monday afternoon ahead of the Canucks. And they're playing a weird, like, I think it's 3.30 Pacific time in Calgary on Monday. The Habs a- need to get the Heimlich maneuver. Like, this is... They're on the verge of pulling off an absolutely epic joke job here. And yeah. like, and like, I think Calgary is scary. Like, I, if I'm Toronto, for example, I'm just rooting so hard. Like, the two, I don't want to face Calgary. Calgary's got elite underlying numbers since Sutter ter- took over. And Jacob Markstrom's a big time goalie, right? Like, he's a big game goalie, proven in the playoffs, too. I want nothing, I want none of Calgary. And the Canucks, like, I want none of team has playoff confidence because of what they did in the bubble last year, um, you know, has this coach who's going to figure out weird ways to attack me, just like he did in the bubble last year, and has this, like, we can do it, like, energy from, you know, this, like, I want no part of those teams. I want the Habs backing into the playoffs feeling vulnerable. Like, give me that if I'm the Maple Leafs, right? Like, this is this is going to be interesting, and the Habs have really put themselves in a tough spot. They have, they have left the door open. Like, you know, it's Mississauga in the 1950s. Like, Oh, leave the door open. Yeah, it's fine. Like it's, it's ridiculous. So, so many moving parts here. Montreal is choking. Calgary's running out of runway. And then you got the Vancouver. And catching fire and and catching fire. Right. Now we know what happened early in the season to the Calgary flames. And I get that this is a Canuck podcast, but it all ties in here. The Canucks or the, the flames, under Jeff Ward, they ran Jacob Markstrom into the ground. Yeah. They traded David Riddich. Louis Deming is not going to carry the Calgary Flames where they need to go. But do they nope. have do they have to turn to Louis Deming at some point, or are no. they just going to run Markstrom the rest of the way? And we in Vancouver know a rested Jacob Markstrom is a much better Jacob Markstrom. Like, I wonder if this turns on the Calgary Flames if they have to ride their horse every single game the rest of the way here. But I think it already did. Like, Markstrom faded. Markstrom's play was a big part of the reason that they went on that brutal nine-game stretch that has put them in this situation well, well behind the eight ball. Now, I think Markstrom's game stabilized. Um, but, you know, they they screwed that up right at the start. Like, they screwed that up in January. They're still paying the price for it. Markstrom has, I think, stabilized his game, but he's still going to be battling fatigue. They don't have an option. He has to play the next nine. They right. need to win, like... Regardless of what else happens, they can only lose twice. 
Something like that. And like, like they, they can only lose twice if Calgary, if Montreal goes 500. Right. Right. But, and Canucks and Calgary still have four games head to head. I mean, they, at the well, back end of the season. And so, they're played in five days. Right. Like, so it, like you're, quite, you're right. It's they're going to have to turn to Domingue. That you can't play Markstrom four times in five games. <laughs> so I'm just you that, can't. I know, but I'm just that processing that storyline with a playoff spot up for grabs, and the Canucks <laughs> are going to get a piece of Louis Domingue. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, that would be delicious. That would be like more delicious than Domingue's baked goods. Um, that would be yeah. that would be fantastic. Uh, but you're right. You're right. You're you can't play Markstrom four and five. You can't play Markstrom four and five. Well, we'll see. I don't think you can. I just don't think you can. So no, you're that's a wow. I hadn't even I hadn't even looked that far ahead. Now let's turn back to the Canucks because yes. one thing you know I, I asked Travis about the turnaround, the quick flight to Ottawa, the quick turnaround. You know, without time for your body clock to adjust, and he said uh, both teams make the trip. Right, both teams make the flight. It's like yes, true. But only one team recently had 22 guys suffer a respiratory illness, right? Like, surely the fatigue will weigh heavier on the Canucks' shoulders than it will on Ottawa's. Now, that's not to say that that's enough to close the gap. The Canucks are also a better team. But I do think that this is going to be a tougher two-game stretch for the Canucks than it will be for the Senators. And I loved Braden Holpe describing what the Canucks have done over the past week as the nice part of their schedule. Like, I thought <laughs> yeah. that was awesome. First of all, it's only nice because they campaigned for it, right? They publicly lobbied the league to get it to be this way. And now, like, they're about to play a three and four. He also said that the rest of the way, it's a continuous three and four, which was also dead on because they're going to play a three and four, have a day off and play a three and four, right? So they've got six over their next nine coming up, uh, 10 over their next 16. And then on the ba- on the back end, they've got that ridiculous uh, seven or five games in seven days, including four and five to end the season. All of those games against Calgary, the middle part of this ten and sixteen stretch, which is the two games against Toronto, the four games against Edmonton, like the two games against Winnipeg, right there. That is going to be where this season, where the rubber meets the road for this Canucks season, and you know, not not to continue to be Dr. Doom on it, but, but qualifying my analysis, qualifying my exuberance over the chance that the Canucks have now got ahead of them, you know, that stretch still suggests to me that there's not a ton of suspense here. Like that, that what we've seen from Montreal in terms of their choke job is, is largely the result of a super compressed schedule that they had to face and that they did not fare well in, as no one can fare well in. But Tom, Tom, starting with this game, the, the final game against Calgary here, they're starting into seven games in 11 nights, Montreal is. Like, it doesn't let up for them either. No, I know. Well, that's, and that's why, like, even if the Habs go 500, I think the Canucks are going to be in tough. Like, they have to go, what, 10 and, 10 and 5 if the, if the Habs go 500? But yeah. I think that, I think that middle stretch with that, especially, like, especially that first game against Toronto and then like three of the four against Edmonton, but especially the latter two, like those games, that's three schedule losses that I count right there. And so you basically need to, to run the table in your non-schedule losses for me, if you're the Canucks. And then that makes the leverage of these two auto games, especially 
super high because it's not like they can lose five. Like for me, when I look at these schedule losses, you know, especially those, especially those three that I pointed out, the two against Edmonton, the one against Toronto, like I'm already chalking those up as likely losses. So you cannot afford to lose either of these games to Ottawa. Like these need to be four points for the Canucks Um, and probably in regulation, considering the tiebreaker. Uh, That's, that's still where the margins are. And that's still why, you know, any sort of um, probabilistic excitement for me is very much restrained here, uh, despite, you know, full praise, full credit to the club for what they've done over the course of the past week. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to talk about Brock Besser looking like Brock Besser. And he's had a great season. We know that. He's, his production has slowed a little. And without Elias Pettersson, that's understandable. But give him time and space with the puck out of his stick, Tom. And you saw it again on Saturday night. The guy is lethal. Love Tanner Pearson's screen. Uh, Marcus Oberg, who <laughs> comes in cold. Incredible. What a, what a spot for Oberg to have to come in. Wasn't expecting to dress, let alone get into game action. And there he is. Uh, comes in, Canuck power play. And Besser just you know makes a mess of the water bottle. Uh, big time stuff. We've seen that shot a lot for Brock Besser over the years. And, uh, for anybody that wonders if uh, he's still got it. Yeah, he's still got it. Yeah. Yeah. I loved to the approach. Like it wasn't just the Besser shot, but it was also the really dangerous Bo Horvat tip. Like they just kept it simple in, in that sequence with, uh, Hogberg in cold. And I thought that was great. I also loved the Anisimov videos of him in the goalie (laughs) gear. I, I wonder who the Canucks have. Ready to go. I actually, I thought about asking Pearson about that. Um, and then I thought about asking Travis Green about that. But I, I was just reading Green and he didn't seem to have a lot of time for any of the questions. Uh, he certainly, be, certainly hasn't Edler. had a ton of... Oh, it's got to be Edler, doesn't it? Wow. Well, he was in the lineup, <laughs> J-Pat. He yeah. has to be a taxi squad guy. It couldn't be a guy in the lineup that throws the pads on? I mean, I guess it could, but then you'd be down a skater. I, could you imagine depriving Edler of that opportunity? He's been exactly. his whole life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, the, uh, yeah, so I, I mean, w- maybe that's that's probably my question tomorrow, uh, at, at, you know, or sorry, on Monday, the morning Tyler Gray- question. Tyler Gravak, he's the biggest guy. Right, he's the tallest. Well, yeah. but, you know, some guys probably played some goal, right? Like, that's the key, is what guy, what guy played some goal? Well, you know who um, you know who hasn't played goal is Mikey DiPietro. What do you make of the timing of this move? I mean, we've asked the Canucks uh, time throughout the season about DiPietro. Uh, his last media availability, Jim Benning, suggested that, yeah, he might play uh, in the National Hockey League. Obviously, Holpe's up and running, and I think the Canucks are confident that Demko is going to get back to his pre-COVID form. But they had this opportunity to do this throughout the year. I know Utica was hit by COVID as well, and their season was interrupted, but... Uh, it does seem kind of late in the day to, uh, you know, look, something is better than nothing. I get that part of it, but the timing seems a little odd that he was here all year. Like, why wouldn't you keep him if you believe that he's your third string guy? Uh, if something happened to either of your goaltenders, I was just surprised at the timing of sending DiPietro down to the farm. 
Yeah, you know, I had it written out in an, a version of the armies that I never got to run because that was the March 31st game that was uh, postponed <laughs> against the Calgary Flames. But I wrote a note for the armies that I never got to use in which I'd done some reporting work on this and suggested that the right before the deadline, there was a March 4th, like an originally scheduled March 4th and March 6th game against the Winnipeg Jets, and I'd suggested that it would make sense for the Canucks to swap out DiPietro and Silovs in that window, because you arrive in Winnipeg, you can do it in the bubble. Um, Silovs is ready to go day one. There's no seven-day quarantine. Similarly for DiPietro, he could have gone for the Manitoba Moose, um, you know, without waiting, and they have like three back-to-backs over the balance of the month of March, and I thought that the Canucks were maybe looking into it. I remember asking around, and it had been clear to me and and clear from the reporting that I was going to drop that evening that that was something the Canucks were materially talking about anyway. I don't know if the decision had been made, but they were thinking along those lines of, of pulling a DiPietro for Silov's sort of swap. And this sort of accomplishes the same thing and accomplishes the same thing on a relatively similar timeline in terms of NHL games played. So I, I'm not shocked by the timing of it. I think this is something that certainly the organization has been kicking around as a concept or an idea. Um, you know, maybe not taking exactly this sort of uh, appearance with DiPietro going down to Utica, but I, I do think that this has been something that's you know certainly been talked about by the front office uh, over the past month plus. Uh, forget even just the past few days. So uh, certainly an interesting development and a good one for DiPietro. Yeah, he, he's approaching what four hundred days between starts. I don't know. Uh, Rob I the hockey Rob the hockey guy is charting and he's got a wall chart. I think it is. I think it's up over five or four hundred now. So yeah. So yeah. it's uh, it's time for him to play again. And you know he's not just he's not just some goalie, right? Like this is a very good goaltending prospect in the Canucks organization. Uh, will be good for him to see some rubber again. I'm sure. Uh, the other off ice news of the weekend is Hockey Night in Canada reporting in uh, its headline segment. Uh, that Elias Pettersson, while he's progressing, uh, isn't likely to return. And I think, you know, we've batted that around. The Canucks have tried to remain optimistic. We've heard about him going to the specialist, but uh, that was some news from Chris Johnson on the on the headlines panel that doesn't look like the Canucks are going to have Elias Pettersson back. So for all this talk of trying to reel in Montreal, uh, the compressed schedule, you know, just add on that to, the you know, sort of another layer of challenges here that uh, they've been doing it without him for a month, but... They're probably going, if they're going to make this heroic push for a playoff spot, it's probably going to be done without their most dynamic forward. Yeah, and I mean, that sucks because Elias Pettersson is fun to watch play hockey, right? Period. And, uh, you know, too bad for him to lose this big a chunk of his third season in the NHL. Um, You know, hopefully, hopefully he's able to get the treatment he needs and, and, you know, not lose a step. I I, I mean, you know, there's nothing good about this. At all. Like, at all. Period. It sucks. And hopefully uh, hopefully, it's all resolved. I wasn't surprised to see Johnston's report. You know, by the time this had gone that long, um, you could smell it coming, even if it wasn't official and the organization was still, you know, publicly optimistic. Right. And, and look, I'm no doctor and I don't even want to speculate, but the concern has to be that at some point, if it's not responding to the treatment he's getting, and and we've heard that he's seeing the best medical professionals available, uh, you know, in in that realm in that field. But 
you know, at some point, if it doesn't respond to treatment, you know, is surgery an option? I know Travis Green was asked that once a while back, and he didn't think so, but, you know, this has taken some twists and turns that obviously the organization didn't see originally when he was listed as day-to-day. So, you know, again, you you hope that he doesn't require surgery because so we wouldn't know about uh, the recovery timelines and, and those types of things for a guy that, you know, the wrists are his, that's his, his bread and butter. Those are his money makers. And, well, uh, yeah. And, and precision, right? Like it's precision. Completely. Yeah. So, uh, no, I mean, hopefully he's able to avoid that outcome. Hopefully he's well, but it just sucks. So the Canucks in the Sands. <laughs> that's my, well, that's my expert analysis on this one. I like, like that. Uh, yes. That sucks. Well, yeah. <laughs> so the Canucks, and I laughed where I read somewhere uh, in the wake of Saturday's game that that wrapped up a homestand for the Canucks. And I'm thinking, damn, like, yeah, I guess that was a homestand. It encompassed an entire month and had a virus that just wiped the team out entirely. But uh, yeah, th- that was a homestand. Uh, yep. Now they're out on the road, four-game road trip, uh, four and six, as you documented. They're in Ottawa uh, Monday. And then Wednesday's that weird. It's a 5.30 local, so 2.30. Got afternoon hockey uh, here on the West Coast. And I guess that'll help them with a few extra hours of turnaround before they go into Toronto on Thursday and then finish up with the Leafs uh, next Saturday. So that's the road trip. And you know, we'll continue to document it as we go here throughout the week on the VanCast. Uh, if you're looking for other pod options here at The Athletic, there are many, including Stan Bowman, the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, joining Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun on the two-man advantage edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. That's coming up on Wednesday at The Athletic. Check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. What is more fun than two games against the Ottawa Senators? Well, hey, two more. Why not? Let's go. Well, and also everyone check out Jay, Pat, and I are on the Athletic Hockey Show on Monday. We're doing a Monday edition, a special bonus VanCast. So we'll be in podcast form four times next week. If anyone wants go. to check yes. out the NHL show having finished if, this podcast. If you can't get enough of us. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't get enough of Jay yeah. Pandrancer, uh, check us out on the Athletic Hockey Show. That's right. Uh, all right. If, if you're like Travis Green and just want more <laughs> of Jay Pandrancer, yeah. <laughs> check right. out the puck. Good start to the week. We'll see if it's a good start uh, for the Vancouver Canucks, and we will be back with two other episodes of the VanCast for you as this week unfolds for Grand Search J. Pat. Thanks so much, as always, for listening to the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. <laughs>